finding our best selves is a real journey, not just in the professional world, but in our entire lives. There's a lot of conversation about how tough times and conflict and loss, how those reveal really great parts of our character. And I agree with that for sure. But, you know, we don't have to just have tough things happen to us. We can choose to take on really difficult challenges or things that maybe are a little bit scary and push into those and in that learn so much about ourselves. Today's conversation is a great example of a professional who has learned to take on scary challenges, things that really stretch him, and in doing those things has learned so much about himself. And what he's learned has helped him help other people in stretching themselves and learning about themselves. So tuck in because this is a great conversation. My name is Aram Arslanian, and this is One Step Beyond. All right, welcome back everyone to One Step Beyond. Uh, we're in Atlanta, Georgia today, and our guest is Paul Zaney, and we're gonna talk about unlocking your potential. And Paul's got a really interesting take on how we do that. And I'll leave that to, to him to share as we get into the conversation. So, welcome, Paul. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it, Aram. Absolutely. Excited to be here. Right on. Okay, so let's start with your career, the professional, and then we'll get into the personal, and we'll we'll work our way into the topic. So. Tell us about your role today and your path to getting into that role. Okay. Today, I manage a couple of sales organizations within a med device company called Beckton Dickinson, and I'm the leader of about 150 people in our uh, two sales organizations and a clinical team. Okay, great. So where did you start? Where'd you start your professional career? You know, I started with a company called Allnet. It was a telecom company back in the day when uh, we were buying 800 numbers and voicemail had just kicked off. And so I was selling voicemail, if you can think uh, back to those times. <laughs> that dates me, doesn't it? <laughs> I, um, I did that for a year. I knew I wanted to get into med device and I got into med device with a surgical company with, with Bard, which mm-hmm. is where I am now. And I've been there 27 years and just kind of worked my way through different leadership positions up until where I am now. Okay. And so Bard, was acquired by BD a right. couple of years ago, right? Two years back. Okay, great. So it's interesting you say you knew you wanted to be in, in med devices. It seems like a leap between, you know, selling like, what was it? Like voicemail, voicemail 800 service. And then saying like, oh, I, and I know I want to go into med device. Cause I don't yep. know if a lot of kids grow up being like one day, I hope I can be in med device. So yep. how did you even know about med device? Um, I worked at a at a really nice restaurant in Birmingham, Alabama, where I grew up. And um, all the people that were coming in there about our age, and they seemed to have a little disposable income. They all drove company cars. And so I'd be like, hey, Aram, what do you do? And be like, oh, I'm in med device. And I heard that over and over again. And it just seemed like a good quality of life. And at the time, I was very money motivated. I I came from, um, it was really just my mom and I. We lived in apartments. She didn't have a lot of money. And I was very determined to change that. So mostly I was looking for a job that would afford me a great quality of life. And it seemed like med device was going to be it. That was really the extent of my search. Right. And I think I, dumb luck got me into a really good spot. Okay, cool. So you get into what was then Bard and is now uh, today BD. Yep. Tell us about that progression from day one to up into where you are today. You know, the first 
four years, I was a territory manager, just a basic salesperson, and I took an opportunity to be a sales trainer. Mm -hmm. And really the light bulb for me went off right there. When I started training people and I saw them be successful, I recognized in myself that, man, I really enjoyed you seeing you be more successful than I cared about like winning awards myself. And so said, hey, maybe you'd be great at a sales manager role. So I raised my hand for a district manager or a sales leader, and I took that job, and I was there about nine years in a role uh, where he had a chance to build teams and uh, try to win professionally. You know, Up until that point, I'd been, I, I was always very competitive, but the competitiveness was always coming out relative to like winning races or competing in some sort of events mm-hmm. you know, personally. Mm-hmm. And so the opportunity to win professionally with a team was really exciting. It was a real cool challenge, and so building a team, trying to find the right people, the people at DNA that could relate to you, and then putting that group together and then getting a little lucky and winning was awesome. It was a very satisfying feeling for me. And then what happened next was I, I tried to repeat that. And uh, through, through, we did a lot of expansions. So we were constantly growing where I was, which was a great thing. It was a wonderful time in the division I was in. And uh, I constantly had new teams. We were shifting a whole lot and adding more heads. And But what I found was over the course of time, I was answering all the same questions and solving all the same problems. And I I really moved from being an inspired leader coach to being a guy who was doing a job. And I think I was doing it at a high level, but I I wasn't on the edge of my seat anymore. And so I was at this point, I was about 15 years, 14 years into my career here with with the Bard. And I knew I needed to make a change. I needed to get re-inspired. I needed to get back on the edge of my seat again. So I changed divisions from uh, our surgical group and came over to where I am now. And the change was kind of strange because I was going from a very sexy, very market leading group, the most important division of BART at the time to a group selling a very basic product, you know, and most of the people were like, what in the world are you doing? But I knew I just needed a new challenge. I needed new experiences. And my boss at the time, the the person I interviewed with, I I really knew I was going to work well with him. I had this good vibe about it. And so I knew he could probably teach me a lot of new things, too. So I made the jump, came over to the other division where I am now and uh, started out in a role of national accounts, uh, managing some of our most important relationships. And there were things I liked about it, but I recognized, you know, I miss building teams. I'm really a team builder. That's the kind of leader I am. I'm not a, you know, math guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I jumped back into sales and split the country with another gentleman who, so we both kind of co-led the organization. And right when I got there, we were going through a really tough time. And out of the 35 reps we had, 17 of them quit. So it was Whoa. super stressful, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, you know, you have a hard time not taking it personal. You show up and everybody starts quitting, you know, but, <laughs> but it was a tough time. Um, but it also gave me a chance to hire people with similar DNA to mine and, you know, kind of build, begin to build a little bit more culture that I'm familiar, was familiar with and it suited me mm-hmm. and took on more responsibility from there, eventually got to lead that group. And, uh, since then have just added another sales organization and a clinical team. Okay. So that brings us to today. Right on. So at what space along that path did you go from being money motivated? So a guy who came yeah. from not, you didn't have a lot growing up. So it made sense that you're like, hey, I, I want to be able to work out of this and I need a job that's going to pay, pay me money. Where did you go from being motivated by the financial gains to more of the like, I'm motivated by bringing people together and helping them grow? I what, think it was, what point? yeah, great question. I think it was three stages. One, it was about the money. And then once I got to quality of life, you know, the money uh, was where I wanted it to be or where I felt like I was making a reasonable amount of money that it, that, that wasn't my primary worry. Yeah. Then it really became about um, quality of life. 
Yeah. You know, like, uh, I want to have a good balance. I don't want to be just focused on making more and more and more money. If I wanted to do that, I needed to go quit, go work somewhere else. So it was about the money, and then it was about quality of life. And then really, as I've the last, say, five or so, six or seven years, it's really been about trying to make a difference. Yeah. You know, really feeling like you're making impact. Yeah. And I assume all, all the way along the line, because you chose to work in med device versus like any other kind of high paying thing that I would assume a lot of that had to do with believing and also the impact of what you were selling as well. When we were selling the surgical product, we were uh, taking a doctor who had, ton- you know, he might have 20 years worth of experience doing a procedure one way. And we'd come in, you know, I'm 25, 26, 27 years old, and I'm trying to convince this doctor that he's doing it wrong or there's a better way to do it. But the beauty was when he when he tried it or he or she tried it, they always would call you and say, thanks, man, my patient is doing awesome. Mm-hmm. So we made a massive difference to the doctor and the patients that we served. And then when I flipped divisions, really the, uh, the primary product we sell now, we don't hear from the patient. Mm-hmm. You know, but what we do is we get a ton of feedback from the hospital leadership that says, man, without you guys, we would have never solved these problems. You know, we would have never made the progress we're making without you. And so it's very gratifying, I think, for both my local reps and the clinicals that support them. And that's very fulfilling and satisfying to me. Yeah. So along the path, there was always the, hey, I know I'm doing good here with the with the products that we're putting in people's hands in the yeah. hospitals uh, that are interacting with patients. But somewhere along the line, it was like, Oh, so I know I'm doing good externally, but hey, I can do this cool stuff internally. Like I can help change and grow and bring people together and really like unlock potential for people. Right. Okay. Before we get into that space, because again, I want to talk about your philosophy about unlocking potential. Um, tell us about growing up. Tell us about how you grew up and, you know, anything that you feel is like relevant to the story here. Mm. Um, I grew up just my mom and I, my dad left when I was two, never really knew him. He gave me a clock radio when I was five. One time he showed up. And uh, that's really the way I remember him, you know. Mm. And uh, so it was mostly just my mom and I. And uh, she worked really hard. Sometimes I was at her jobs at night. She worked two or three jobs all the time. So she demonstrated hard work. And I think one of the things that set me on the right uh, path was we commuted back and forth to school about 45 minutes. So we we lived out of the school zone. And so when we commuted, she was, my mother was constantly listening to Zig Ziglar and Tony Robbins and all this, you know, you got to believe it to achieve it kind of stuff, you know, and, uh, just fill me with all this positivity. And maybe I was brainwashed. I don't know, but it was a really cool experience because from there on, I tended to always see potential, mm-hmm. you know, I always thought I could do better than I was doing now, you mm-hmm. know? So went to uh, high school, started running. I've played soccer a ton growing up and then all of a sudden my running got good. So in the middle of high school, I started running, just Uh picked it up out of the blue. And then two years later, a college came to me and said, Hey, we'll give you a free ride to come run here. And I was like, wow, that's crazy. And Uh so, uh, started running in college and that was a pretty good experience. I was an average runner at best. Um, got through running in college and started this job and really started working hard and kind of let running, you know, go to the sideline. And, uh, Somewhere in there, I picked it back up. A little bit is mostly a hobby. I actually have, uh, had decided I was going to try to qualify for the Boston Marathon. It's like, ah, that seems like a really cool experience. I want to do that. And it really just built from there, you know, just taking these uh, on these new challenges personally that, okay, did that, check the box. What's next? Did that, check the box. What's next? And it just kind of grew from there to where I started recognizing, man, as I was pushing myself and staying way out of my comfort zone, I was learning all these lessons, mm-hmm. you know, and it was just really cool. And um, about 2000 and somewhere around early 2000s, you know, I, I made this uh, 
I'd been doing so well financially and professionally. Everything was just really rocking and rolling. And I had some friends who said, hey, let's jump into this business. And I'd been looking for a place to just invest some money on the side, let it kind of grow while I was doing my day job. And so I threw some money in with these folks, a six-figure check, you know. And um, from there, my life, I spent 10 years post that, digging out of that simple decision I made because it ended up being a really bad one. And uh, I got put on the hook for over $4 million in debt ultimately. And it really caused me to completely change my life in terms of how I, how I thought. And I think what helped me get through that was I had constantly been up until that point comfortable with challenge. Right. And so I I look at this, I was like, Oh my gosh, this is about to screw my entire life up. You know, Mm -hmm. had to move my whole family, had to retool everything, you know, and man, at that moment, I knew that, okay, I have to look at this as an opportunity to just like I would a race or just like I would my career. And I've got to find a way to get through this. I can't, you know, can't blame other people. I can't do anything other than I just got to grind through this situation. So and it took me about 10 years to get that past me. And, um, through that experience, I ran my first 50 miler, I ran my first hundred miler and on and on and on. And I did that because it gave me a great place to focus my energy you know, to get out on the roads or get out on the trail and think through the problems I had. Uh, I had a big business I was managing. I had this big personal problem, and then I had the rest of my life, you know. And so getting out on the road and running these trails or, you know, just being alone allowed me to, you know, get rid of the anger that I had, but also help me strategically think about how to problem solve so I could get out of this jam I was in. Mm-hmm. And so I just, you know, through all those experiences, just piling up one after the other, I learned a lot about myself, but also learned about the opportunity of uh, how to stay out of your comfort zone and proactively take on challenges that help you focus, mm-hmm. you know, to generate better results. Okay. And I think that brings us perfectly to our topic here. As I mentioned earlier, we're talking about unlocking potential, but your take on it is unlocking potential through what? Through challenge. I, um, I'm a big believer that it's challenge that teaches you the lessons that help you grow. Yeah. And, and it's real interesting because we're going to get into this, like what you do with people, like how you invite people within your work world to do this stuff with you. But you're really focused on like rigorous, self-directed challenges. So tell us about that. Tell you about the challenges? Or tell us about like how you feel that unlocks oh, gotcha. potential. Yeah, yeah. Um, when you take on a big challenge, and I mean something that's going to make you nervous, you know, not like uh, I'm going to sign up for a 5K because I need to get back in shape. I mean, like signing up for your first Ironman or signing up for your first 100 miler or signing up uh, to spend some time with the Navy SEALs. Uh-huh. You know, when you do that, you're all of a sudden you're right on the edge of your seat because mm-hmm. there's a huge risk of failure. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you don't plan, if you don't train, it could go wrong. Yeah. You could you might suffer, yeah. but uh, you also might have to tell your friends you you weren't able to do it. Yeah. And uh, so there's. Just really cool experiences, lessons that you can learn from that. Yeah. Why does that unlock potential, though? So, like, for example, you know, so many people talk about unlocking potential. It's like, unlock your potential. Yeah. And it's funny because, like, yes, like, yes, of course, we all want to unlock our potential. And there's a lot of different takes on it, on how you want to do that. Like, some people want to meditate, you know, do this, do that. Uh, I, I like your take, man. It's pretty... Um, it's a neat idea, like really pushing yourself to the edge in a different kind of pursuit. Like, let's say like, you know, um, going from running a 5k to actually saying, well, no, I'm going to actually, I'm going to run a marathon. That's what my goal is. Yeah. Because you're actually saying like the potential in all other areas of your life is unlocked when you're trying to hit something 
that's really tough for you. It's going to open up all these other avenues. Like, why do, why do you think that happens? Why do you think it does that? Well, you, you become more self-aware. Uh-huh. Um, you have to self-evaluate. Uh, you have to be really capable of staying calm under pressure. You have to short set micro goals. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you know, if you're going to run hundred miles, if you think about the thought of that, it's nutty, even to somebody who's done it, you know, I, I still think it's nutty. It's, it sounds awful. Yeah. All right. <laughs> but it's about setting micro goals. You know, it's about not thinking about the finish when you start it. And, uh, so there's all these little things that, uh, go into helping you learn and grow. And then you take that out of the, that personal challenge into your professional business. And when things go rough, you're like, okay, micro goals. Right. What do I need to do today? Uh, two, I got to remain calm. Right. I can't overreact to this because I might make a bad decision. Right. So calm inside the storm is really important, especially in your mind, calming down your mind so that you can have clarity of your thinking is important. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's just lots of lessons when you get yourself under stress that you learn about mostly about yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you can take that and you can apply it to your business life and the rest of your personal life. But in the end, when you're successful, when you accomplish something that maybe you didn't think you could do, it was really big, scared you to death, and then you cross that finish line, you're like, what else could I do? Yeah. You know, you start to think, man, if I could do that, what else can I do? And I apply that personally and professionally. I don't think that just applies to some other road race or whatever. I think that applies in the business world too. And it's risky for all of us to get very comfortable in what we do. And then when we get super comfortable, we don't challenge ourselves anymore. And I would propose that life is full of challenges, uh-huh. right? And so if we proactively take on challenges, we get comfortable in that space. Man, I know now when I'm challenged, I learn. Uh-huh. I'm like, hey, bring it on. Let's go. Let's go see what we can learn because we're going to grow from this experience more than just suffer in the experience. So I want to I want to bring it back to a couple personal things because uh, it sounds like not being angry and not being bitter has been a lot of what has helped you be successful. Mm. So, um, growing up with uh, a dad that was absent in your life, um, what was that like for you? You know, it, w- it was a nothing event. Yeah. I mean, my mom made it a nothing event. You know, we didn't, she didn't fuss about it. You know, she didn't say, oh, if he hadn't left, it wouldn't have been, you know, nothing. Mm-hmm. He never paid any child support. He was never around. So it was kind of a nothing event. Yeah. I didn't even know what I missed out on. All right. You know? Um, so a lot of people, would be angry about that or Mm. bitter Mm. or um, have a lot of like what ifs. Mm -hmm. And then if so, if if I add in this investment that you were talking about, that investment that went really sideways for you, Mm. a lot of people would be angry, bitter, what ifs. Mm. How did you keep from being stuck in like a bitter, angry, what if space? Because it sounds like these challenges are part of what helped you work through that. You know, it was it was easy with my father because I never knew him, so that wasn't a big deal. It was really hard with that investment thing. You know, I was angry, I was mad, and I was just in a bad space, you know. And uh, I think it was the solitude getting out on those runs, challenging myself personally. It, gave me a, it allowed me to redirect some of that anger and frustration. And it ultimately, Aram, man, I don't know if you've ever uh, – you, know, you go to the Grand Canyon or you go somewhere really cool and you challenge yourself physically. When you get there and you, it's such a beautiful place. There's so much gratitude that, that comes out of you as they have these tough experiences. But I think the most important lesson there in terms of not being bitter and all that was that I have personal accountability. So when I talk about this, that situation with my own kids now, I'm like, look, I could, we as a family could be really resentful of these people. 
you know, because they screwed us. But if I had made some better decisions on the front end, I would have never put us in that situation. So I have to own all that because life life is full of people that will take advantage of you if you let them. But if you make good decisions, if you're thoughtful, you can avoid a lot of those things. Mm -hmm. You know, so I really just have to own what I can own and make the changes from there. And that keeps me from being bitter because if I'd made better decisions, they wouldn't I wouldn't have been in that situation. Yeah. So from everything we've talked about, I've, I've heard two things. One, taking on these self-directed challenges, the way that it unlocks your potential is it expands the realm of what's possible for you. So when you believe that what's possible for you is broader and broader and broader, you have a lot more choices. Mm -hmm. You give yourself choices by expanding your idea of what's possible for you. So that's one part of what I'm hearing. But the other part of what I'm hearing is, hey, life can be amazing and beautiful and it can be brutal. Mm -hmm. And when you get really comfortable with challenging yourself and you get used to the idea of having to work through things, it allows you to take some of that, the anger or the bitterness or the feelings, the sadness or whatever. They're not just bouncing around inside of you. They're not just circulating through your head and keeping you up at night. You're out processing them, out doing something in a place where you have to interact with the world, where you have to be out there. Mm. And it's a way of taking that like painful negative energy and using it and expressing it outwards through like, let's say physical activity in your case. So there's two parts. Part of it's like expanding the realm of the possible and giving yourself choices. The other is like proactively or actively dealing with your pain, your anger, your anxiety, your bitterness and putting it to work. Right. Is that? That's fair. Yeah. yeah. Well Um, said. Man, uh, you know, I've, again, part of why I want to talk to you about this is like, your story, the stuff that you've talked about, is like real inspirational to me as someone who's a, a runner, a cyclist. I do a lot of triathlons, all that kind of stuff. And there's days or there's years where I'm like crushing it. I'm like super good health. And there's years where I'm eating like candy every single day and <laughs> I'm not running a lot. But well, make you know, no mistake, we're the same. <laughs> right. And but I, I love these stories because it's uh, it's part of what motivates me and keeps me going. So there's a point though in your story where these challenges start becoming part of your work story. So these are challenges that you take outside of work, you know, mm-hmm. these, the running, the ultra marathons, you mentioned the Grand Canyon. At what point do they start coming into work and you start kind of like bringing people into these ideas? They've probably always been there, but kind of figuring out how you position those and when it's appropriate so that you don't uh, turn people off or whatever. That's, that's happened relatively recently in the last maybe seven years. I had a manager's meeting in um, Las Vegas, so I had my team there together, and I said, hey, if we're going to get together in Vegas, we're going to go to this place called Red Rock and do some hiking. And we had a killer event. We stayed out there about four hours. We hiked all over the place, and when we got done, everybody was sweaty. But they were all satisfied. They were all, you know, we built a better bond together. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that just, it was a good takeaway there, right? That wasn't easy part of it. The finish wasn't easy, this little hike we did. But the opportunity to grow the bonds of the people that you have together outside of work through this, some of this stuff was really neat. So that was, you know, an eye opener for me. And then. Um, and, and that was seven years ago? That was about, I think it was at least seven years ago when okay. we did that, right? So up until that point, had you been like encouraging people professionally to like join you on a run or join you on an event or anything like that? Not in a significant way. Okay. You know, I. The guy who got me back into running um, after college was uh, an employee, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, so yeah, it had been happening one off, mm-hmm. um, but not as an organized effort or anything like that. So, but what I recognize really, and I think it probably uh, is through aging too, you know, is I just recognize through work and personal experiences that it's, man, it's easy to get stale. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and it's subtle. It happens subtly too. And uh, we've all had these conversations where we're like, dang, I can't believe it's been five years. I can't believe I haven't done X. And, you know, and we're all like that, you know. And so what I recognize, especially as I sit here across from me about to turn 52, uh, is that, man, people, as they move through their career and they move through their professional life, it's just so subtle, you know, the, the, the way we can get stale or, you know, get comfortable in our little box, you know, and not try new challenges. And so, you know, where, what, what door opened for me was this opportunity to say, hey, would you like to join me on this? What do you think? This is, what would you think about trying something like this? And the first time I put it out there, um, 10 people said yes. And, I was, and what was that event? Like, what was Oh, event? yeah, then. So it was the first time we went to the Grand Canyon. Okay. And just for our audience, we got to explain this. Because when you say, to the, let's go to the Grand Canyon, you're not like, oh, let's just go take a look at the Grand Canyon. <laughs> yeah. This is a whole thing that we're going to get into. So tell us about that. Yeah, so I had never been to the Grand Canyon. It was kind of on my bucket list. And so the Grand Canyon, um, I'd never even seen it before. But as a runner, I knew there was this thing called rim to rim to rim, which meant, you know, you started on the south side or one side and you ran all the way across to the other side and then you ran back again. That's about 50, 52 miles, depending on which way you go, if you go there and back. And there's some huge climbs. I mean, uh, on the north rim, you're going to climb five miles. I mean, it is the Grand Canyon. It, it's, they, well, it, you know, and one of the things I said uh, after I came back was, man, they call it grand for a reason. I mean, it is beautiful. It is awesome. And it's also challenging. Yeah. And to read everything on the online about, you know, don't try this. Mm-hmm. You should never do this. This is unsafe. <laughs> You know, that was like, oh, that's right. My wheelhouse, I've got to go do this if that's what they're saying about it. You know, and now I don't I don't I don't say that taking, um, you know, throwing caution to the wind. Mm -hmm. I don't believe that either. But at this point, I had done a lot of distance running, so I kind of knew what I was getting myself into. It wasn't going to be that big of a stretch, but um, I'd never taken a group of people there before. Mm -hmm. So I just threw it out there and I did have uh, 10 people who said, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. And we'll go from one rim. So we went from the south rim and we hiked. We actually went there to run it. But the day before when I ran it, I was like, oh, geez, this is going to be really hard. (laughs) We better hike it. (laughs) So we downgraded from a run to a hike. And um, we started out at like 3.30 in the morning. We hiked all day and ended up about 10, 11 hours later on on the North Rim. And every single one of them just came out of that with their own story, right? How that experience was to them, what it meant to them, what it was like, how hard it was for some of them. And these light bulbs were going off with me because I could see in them this satisfaction, mm-hmm. you know, with their accomplishment. Mm-hmm. And then they left there and some of them said, I'm coming back. You know, I've got to do this again. And, uh, and then some of them said, I got to bring some people back. Mm-hmm. And so what I saw was this really cool kind of ripple effect of this neat challenge that we had put out there for everybody. Yeah. So it started growing all these legs, you know, and that, that was very gratifying for me. Yeah. So the next year I decided, well, I'll try this one more time. Mm-hmm. And I threw it out there to the organization and ended up having um, 39 people say they wanted to go. Wow. And it's like, wow, this is just, this is awesome. Yeah. Awesome. But a little spooky too. I'm not an event planner. Right? <laughs> I'm, a, I'm just a Joe Blow endurance runner guy, you know? Yeah. And uh, so all of a sudden I had to take on this new dynamic. And if you ask my wife, she's going to say, man, administratively, he sucks. <laughs> <laughs> so the fact that we all got there and we all survived and we all got back home is a miracle. <laughs> right, right. But, you know, having the opportunity to check in with people and, hey, how, how's your training going? 
Uh, how you feeling about this? Uh, mm-hmm. What's your why? You know, why why are you here? And interacting with them on a completely a deeper level yeah. was just so rewarding and fulfilling yeah. to me. And seeing them be vulnerable, right? I am scared. I've never done anything like this, you know. And then working together to get through it was just it was a great experience, yeah. you know, really satisfying experience for me, and I believe the people that went as well. Yeah. So how many years now have you done it? I've done it too. And now you're gearing up for a third one? I actually have some people who now who have said, I'd like to go there and back. So these are people who went 26 miles roughly, who probably run a marathon in their personal life, mm-hmm. um, who are now saying, I want to go all the way over there and then come all the way back and nonstop. So it'll take about 24 hours and it's about 50-ish miles, you know, 52 miles. And so they've raised their hand. There's about, there, right now there may be six to nine of them. And so I'm kind of gearing back up to saying, okay, if they're going to take on this kind of challenge, if they're willing to get that far out of their comfort zone, what should I be doing? And so typically when I've gone to the Grand Canyon, I've put in 75 miles over the two days, Mm. one day on my own and then one day with the people. And I'm, you know, I guess verbalizing this to you, maybe the my death because <laughs> then I might have to get pot committed. But this is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking I'm going to go back over there and I'm going to do my own day. And then I'm going to do a, a day with the one group that wants to go there and back. And then I'm going to do a third day with the group that just wants to go there. The personal challenge for me will be, you know, saying, Hey, I'm getting in the boat with you, Ram. You've never done this before. I'm going to go run 130 miles. I've never done that before in a vast place where there's no way to get out of there. You got to get yourself out of there. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I haven't announced that yet, but I'm thinking that's what we're going to do. You did just announce it. No, no. Hopefully. <laughs> this is going on the hopefully internet. We can edit, edit, hopefully we can edit this out <laughs> if I change my mind. Well, you know, Dave, our engineer over here, he was giving me a look like I'm going to go with Paul. So is that? <laughs> this is how it happens, Dave. <laughs> right here. Dave's giving me the look now. No, we're not doing that. Okay. So let's pull it back yeah. to the professional world because so leading this sales organization and having the clinical organization within that without naming names, Mm -hmm. what kind of unlocked potential have you now seen? So people have taken on these, this super rigorous challenge, huge Mm -hmm. rigorous challenge, and you saw them do it. Mm -hmm. So what potential did they unlock? Is there anything that springs to mind across all the people in these two years that you've done? Well, the main thing is that people are more willing to take on different challenges. Professionally. Yeah. Yeah. They're willing more willing, vulnerable, whatever, to uh, stand up and go, you know, I need a new challenge. To recognize that through challenge, there's fulfillment. Mm-hmm. And once you once you get that bug, you really want more of it. Yeah. So like very specifically, you can actually think of people across these two years who before probably wouldn't have put up their hand to say, oh yeah, like professionally, I want to take on this challenge. But since they've gone through this really rigorous, like self-directed challenge, mm-hmm. now that they're on the other end of it, they're much more willing to put up their hand and take that challenge. Is that right? They're much more willing to do that. They're much more, um, not able, but um, can get through the tougher times. We have we have back orders and quality problems just like any other company does. And those things are tough. Mm-hmm. You know, so to recognize, okay, they can reflect back on other tough things, this other tough thing they've done and go, okay, I know it's going to pass. Yeah, you yeah. know, and then I think the third thing is that they are turning around and inviting their friends and family to come back and do that experience with them. Mm-hmm. Um, did you see any improvement in terms of how they manage themselves through a challenge? Like specific, because you've talked a lot about like setting micro goals and, and do that. Have you seen people be able to take what they've learned about managing 
a, a challenge like that and then apply it into the discipline of how they handle challenging situations at work? You know what? I can't sit here and say, yeah, Joe did so-and-so, you know, yeah. but I know that's happening. Okay, For cool. sure. So if we take a step back and we look at your sales organization or if we look at your organization in general, from like a leader's perspective, and I'm not saying like dollars and cents, these challenges that you're taking people through. And I want to remind people, this is a type of challenge we're talking about, uh, this really serious physical challenge, but it can be like any kind of self-directed, like a real challenge that's oh, outside sure. of work. Yep. If you're to say what kind of impact this has had on your organization, what is it? Mm, that's a great question. Um, I think it helps to make the culture more resilient, mm. you know? in the face of the the challenges of business, mm -hmm. but also makes them more determined to say, you know, if this was good before, what's good tomorrow? Yeah, you know, yeah. what more can I do? Yeah. And uh, I think that exists. And that's the kind of, you know, that's the enhancement to the culture here. You know, we're just adding, you know, lighter fluid to the fire that already exists because we have these type A personalities in our business who are really determined to do well for themselves. And we have a great culture. So I'm just pouring lighter fluid on it with things like this. Yeah. Well, you know, it's cool. Um, you know, both you and I together, and then also like just on our own career paths, we've been to a lot of sales meetings and at sales meetings, you know, it's always kind of like bigger, better, stronger, like, yeah, like rah, rah, like fist pumping. But then it's just back to your day to day. Cause the stuff that people tend to talk about from these things are kind of like these motivating, inspirational things. Yeah. And then people typically go out and have a good year or a bad year. And then you know, you're back at your sales meeting again. What you're talking about is actually like changing the way that people interact with challenge That's so right. they can unlock their potential of how they just live life and, and be professional. So instead of just giving speeches or putting pie charts up on a PowerPoint, you're talking about actually doing something that changes the way that people look at themselves and what could be. Oh man, absolutely. You know, we've, we've, everybody has been to a great motivational talk Yeah, and it could be the most inspiring, motivating thing you've ever heard in your life, but inevitably would default back to the people that we are. Yeah, totally. You know, and eventually that, that just is a good memory. Yeah. But what I'm after is trying to encourage people to get comfortable being uncomfortable, sign up for things and then figure it out, mm -hmm. you know, and put yourself out there. And then as you have success they begin to get the bug themselves and, yeah. it, and it grows from there. Um, so reflecting on our time together and, you know, the things that I've, I've seen you do um, in your leadership and with the organization, something that has really started to stand out to me is if I put a, a physical challenge in front of you, like, you know, we're talking right now, like run 130 miles, like all of this yeah. stuff. It's like, whoa, that's tough. But you're willing to do that. So for me, something I've started to notice about you is that self-directed challenge has become less about what totally tough physical thing you can do. And the self-directed challenge to me for you seems to be more about how can I inspire and engage people to take on that level of commitment and try it themselves? Mm -hmm. And like, how do I get individuals and teams to take this leap so that they can change their lives and unlock their potential? Mm -hmm. That's something I've seen about you. I want to reflect it back to you. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? I think that sounds really cool when you say it, <laughs> and I'm thankful that you see that in me. <laughs> did I just pay you a fancy compliment? <laughs> yeah, you did. It was, it was really satisfying. Thank you. <laughs> you know, so something I'm going to encourage you to think about here is like, man, it sounds like for you, the physical stuff is is more of the backdrop of like, yeah, of course you do that. That's That's right. like a normal thing, and you enjoy it, and you do well with it. But you've been getting more and more into this space of like, oh, no, like, actually, I know this can change people's lives. Like, I actually 
know this by seeing it, how it's changed my colleagues' lives, how it's changed our organization. Mm -hmm. So what's challenging for you about getting people, inspiring people to do this? Like what's hard for you about that? You know, I I think the hardest part is getting people to take the leap of faith. Mm. You know, because the reality is, at least with the things I've been taking them on, the Grand Canyon for, you know, just specifically, anybody can do it, mm. you know? And not, anybody can do it? Most anybody can do it. Okay. Yeah. A lot of people can do it. Uh-huh. Um, a lot of people who would say they couldn't do it can definitely do it. And, uh, you know, it is, you got to train, uh-huh. you know? But but that's the easy part, you know, just putting in the the effort every day. So I think the 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 hardest thing is to get people comfortable enough just saying, okay, I'm willing to take a chance. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm willing to sign up and be vulnerable because, you know, this is going to be really tough for me. I've never done anything like this before, but I'm willing to just raise my hand and go along and see if I can do it, mm-hmm. you know? And so that's not only is that the most exciting part for me is when they do sign up, you know, when they do take that leap of faith, they put a little bit of trust in me and they put a lot of trust in themselves that they can do it. That's just, that's, that's the beginning of the snowball that then we work on the training and we talk and we make sure we stay engaged. And, uh, over time they, they have these little micro successes that lead them to believe that, yeah, I can show up at the start line here and I think I can do this. And then we haven't had anybody fail yet, yeah. you know, which is a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> Canyon is not a place to fail, but the lessons that people, the, the, the confidence that they have, the satisfaction from the accomplishment is, is just phenomenal, right huge, you know. And look, I think we've talked a lot about physical challenge because that's kind of my lane mm-hmm. and it's an easy place for me to lead people to. Like I can't lead people to be great speakers because it's not my sweet spot. I don't know enough about it. I'm learning myself. But I'll you know, tell you two things. I want to be a better speaker. Mm-hmm. You know, you know that. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to get better and better at that. I think I have a lot of potential there. I've got to work at it significantly. Mm-hmm. I actually want to be a writer. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to take on a, and so a challenge, right? Mm-hmm. It's not physical, but I want to learn how to be a writer. Mm-hmm. You know, I've always felt like I had a book in me. I have no clue what I would write, but I've always felt like I, I could be a writer. Yeah. And so I'm going to take on that challenge this coming year. Personally, I'm going to try to find a place to go and learn how to write mm-hmm. and uh, see if I can begin to unlock that inside of me, something new. So I don't necessarily think it's just physical challenge. I do believe that physical challenge is incredibly helpful. Mm-hmm. And a for a lot of reasons. Yeah. One of them is because we're all going to get old and we're working our asses off professionally to make money for some retirement. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to show up in retirement and not be able to get off the couch. Right. You know, you want to be able to thrive and go and do things. And so staying physically fit is just fundamental to having a great life. Yeah. You yeah. know, and it, it, it's usually the first thing we give up when we become moms and dads or you know, we take on more personal or professional responsibility. Mm-hmm. Our fitness just tends to be one of the first things we give up on. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. You went right to where I was real curious about, because anyone listening here is going to be like, wow, so that's really cool that, that Paul does this. And well, it sounds like fitness is his sweet spot. Mm-hmm. Does this guy ever challenge himself outside of that, outside of that sweet spot? Yeah. Like, what does that actually look like for him? So it sounds like speaking, which of course you and I you know, spent a lot of time with, and I've, yep. I've seen how you push yourself writing. That's news to me, man. So yeah. tell me about that. Well, you know, I, I don't know where this comes from. This is maybe weird to admit, but when I, since I've been younger, I've always seen myself on a stage and I've always felt like I had, a, had something to write. Mm-hmm it's just been this weird vision, you know? So it's funny how I end up on the stage here professionally doing this thing. I'm not sure what I thought. My, maybe I uh, saw myself as Tony Robbins. I don't know, yeah. you know, but anyway, I saw myself on the stage with a message. But the other thing was, you know, I knew I like to write. 
because I like the the thoughtfulness that's required to, you know, just put your jumbled thoughts in your head down on a piece of paper and have them make sense. And But I'm fearful because I don't know what I would write about. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I mean, I'm just me. I don't really have anything special to say, yeah. you know, so I may write a book to myself or I might write a book to my kids Yeah. and start there. Yeah. You know? Well, what's interesting is when you talk about your transition into becoming like a, an ultra runner, mm-hmm. you speak about it with like total confidence. Like, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. I started, started when I was young, kind of fell off and got into it and just went along. And you're speaking it from a guy who's succeeded in it mm-hmm. and who's been able to do all these cool things. Mm-hmm. But now we're talking about something they have yet to succeed in. Yeah. And I can see it, you know, of course the audience can't, can't see this, but I can see it in your face, like a little pensive when you're talking <laughs> about it. I can see you like it, mm-hmm. but it scares the heck out of you. Oh yeah. What scares you about it? When you admit that you want to be a writer, people are expecting you to have something to say. Yeah. And I really don't know what I have to say yet. Yeah. You know, I think we actually all have something special to say, yeah. you know? So it's a little scary to tell anybody that I actually would like to be a writer. But so what's scary is that, you know, if you sit down in front of a piece of paper, what if nothing comes out? <laughs> right. What if you're not good at it? Right. <laughs> what if your message is boring <laughs> and thoughtless? <laughs> so those kind of things, you know, they, they, they made me excited on one end because I've had a lot of lessons in my life. I've learned a lot of things, you know, and so the ability to articulate some of those through the written word is really cool to me. But, you know, physically. You know, I failed at Leadville. Leadville's a um, 100-mile trail race in Colorado. And you, and you failed at it. And in 2018, I DNF'd at mile 80, so I did not finish. I pulled myself out. It was the most disappointing thing I've ever, personally, physical, you know, events, most disappointing thing that I've ever had happen to me. Never uh-huh. thought I'd quit. Uh-huh. And all of a sudden, I ejected 80 miles into this race. And... uh but I learned so many great lessons, right? Mm-hmm. That when I went back this year in 2019 to run it again, the interesting thing was that through the first 10 miles of that race, so it starts at four in the morning, there's about seven, 800 people start. Everybody's in a headlamp, pitch dark, you know? You're running through these trails and it's really peaceful. Yeah. But my mind is like, I don't wanna be here. I don't think I can do this. I don't feel good today. And I'm thinking, what the heck? You've been training for this for a year to come back and overcome this. But I think we have all of us and everything when we set a really big goal, these are the ways our brain tries to sabotage us. So whether I'm thinking about writing, you know, or I'm having to actually get out there and start running this race again earlier this year, you know, your brain will absolutely just sabotage the crap out of you if you're not careful. Yeah. So an interesting thing I'm hearing here is like there's two things. So it's not just about doing this thing and having this like, oh, like amazing moment where you finish it. It's also about like unlocking your potential is failing at something, Mm. but then getting back up and doing it again. You know, for me, I have always been the type of person that if I fail at something, I have to do it again. You know, I've missed qualifying for the Boston Marathon twice by less than a minute. You run a whole marathon and you're within 60 seconds of the qualifying time, but you miss it, you know? So uh, where's the next marathon? I got to go sign back up. You know, Leadville, I, I had no intentions to rerun Leadville. I didn't really want to run that many more 100-mile races. But when I failed, I knew I couldn't leave it there. Yeah. That's just not in my DNA. Yeah. So, you know, when we fail, and we all do, you know, do we walk away going, oh, I just wasn't good at that? Mm-hmm. Or do we actually, you know, self-reflect? evaluate why we failed, put a better plan in place and come back and do it again so that we can prove to ourselves 
that we can learn from those failures and we can conquer them. Okay, what potential did that unlock in you? Failing at that thing and yeah. having that really bad feeling mm-hmm. and then going back and doing it. What did that unlock for you? Man, it, it builds more confidence. The more uh, you gain a level of, I got this. Yeah, but it's not confidence as a runner because you're confident as a runner. What kind of confidence are we talking about here? Yeah, um, I mean, that's a great way to ask that question. It, it It's this I don't know all the answers, but I'm confident enough in my experiences that I can figure it out, yeah. you know, and because you have to self-evaluate a lot, I know that I can look at the situation and go, okay, I'm not sure I can win here, but I know I can ask the questions that'll help me put myself in a position to win. And even if I don't win, I'll learn. Okay. Okay. You know, so that's the first thing that I heard, which is like, you unlock potential when you fail at something too. Yes. But you're going to unlock even more potential if you fail and you get back up. And you do it again. Right. But the other thing is, is managing that like negative dialogue that goes along in your head. Mm. So as an example, Mm. I have no doubt after speaking to you, you're going to write a book and you're going to finish the book. So it's about finishing it and unlocking it. It might not be a good book. (laughs) It might be an okay book or it might be an incredible book, but you're going to do it. Right. So how are you going to manage? Because we know writing a book is scary. Mm -hmm. Like even as you're talking about it to me, I'm thinking, gosh, writing a book is a scary idea. Like that's really scary. What can you say about managing that inner critic? Yeah, that I think the inner critic dr- drives me. Okay. The reality is that that fear that I place on myself, the fear of failure, the fear of, of embarrassing yourself, mm-hmm. um, and the fear of letting yourself down, mm-hmm. you know, they put me on the edge of my seat. Right. And that causes me to ask more questions, to get better prepared, to think about the roadblocks that are going to come my way, to think about and acknowledge that. They a this could be stressful. Um, there could be some bumps in the road. This could be really hard. But because I've been more thoughtful, I have a higher chance of succeeding. You know, I've uh, I've reflected more deeply on what's the right steps are here to move the ball forward. And maybe it's just about micro goals. You know, the first step, and obviously writing this book, is I got to sign up for a course, mm-hmm. right? I'll learn from there. I'll figure it out. I may hate the experience. And if I do, I'll, I'll reflect on that. I won't hold myself like overly accountable to writing a book just because I've said it here. Mm-hmm. I'll move on, mm-hmm. you know. But if I if I don't take that first step, I'll never begin to unleash, unlock that potential that's in me. Okay. So as we're closing off, I want to ask you a couple more questions. So one is, if you have any advice for someone in the professional world or even not in the professional world who wants to unlock their potential, like wants to really expand what they think is possible for themselves, give themselves choices. So they're going to do that by taking on like a personal challenge, like a rigorous personal challenge. And it doesn't have to be physical activity. Like you said, it could be writing a book. It could be going back to school. It could be anything like that. You talked a lot about like micro goals and all these things. So what are some suggestions that you have that are like practical, doable suggestions for someone as they're taking on the challenge? What are some things that people can apply for themselves while they're taking on one of these self-directed challenges? First and foremost, because a lot of people might hear this and say, oh, that's nifty. I'll get around to it. Yeah. You know, first and foremost is if, you know, a message, whether it's this message in this podcast or something somebody else says that you hear, first thing to do is, is act. Mm-hmm. Right. Create action. Sign up for something. Right. right. And then I think the second thing is, is really ask yourself why it's important to you, mm-hmm. because in the end, if it's not really that important, you'll probably peter out or you may fail. Mm-hmm. You know, so really understanding why something is going to make a difference in your life. You know why this activity you're going to do is is going to make you better. Mm-hmm. Man, it, 
that's a that's a really important one to actually write down. And then I think third, one of the things that we don't do is we many of us don't do is we we think a whole lot about what we want to accomplish, but we don't really write down our goals. Right. You know, we don't really write down the steps that need to happen in order to be successful. So I would challenge that no matter what you're signing up for, that you want to you want to write down what it is, why it's important to you. You know, why failure is not an option, why you're going to see it through and then list out three or four of the next most important things you need to do to get started on the path. And so for me, for example, I've always been a runner. Mm -hmm. I mean, I know how to run. I know how to train. But when I failed at Leadville in 2018, I knew that I needed an outside counsel. Right. I needed. So I got a coach. I'd never had a running coach before. (laughs) You know, I didn't have much need that need for that. But the running coach brought all these new elements for me to think about. Right. And for example, we started focusing on vertical gain every week. I'd never focused on vertical gain. But as a result of working with her, we climbed 165,000 feet last year, you know, to get ready for Leadville. So, you know, if you find that one of your things is, hey, I'm going to take on this big challenge and I really don't know enough about X, then go get counsel, get a mentor, get a coach and make sure that you've got guidance that points you in the right direction. Right on. Okay. um, Final question for you. If you think about two years ago, so before, or maybe even three years ago, before you started taking people to the Grand Canyon to work on this, to now, to who you are today, what do you know about yourself as a leader now that you didn't know about yourself three years ago after doing these two Grand Canyon uh, events? That I'm more than just a leader of sales and clinical people, mm-hmm. that I am becoming more a leader of people, mm-hmm. you know, whole people. Yeah. Um, that sometimes people just need an organizer. You know, they just need somebody to light that spark, you know, or create that spark that, you know, sets them on the right path. And I think I can be that spark a lot yeah. um, for people. And I think I've learned that my work is more fulfilling, yeah. you know, when you have these experiences, when you have professional success, that's great. We had a, a fantastic year. We had one of the best years we ever had professionally. Our teams did fantastic. But when you pile on top of that personal success like we had, then you know that the year was special. Mm-hmm. And the things that stay on my wall, you know, aren't the trophies and the plaques from sales accomplishments. Mm-hmm. They're the pictures of people at the Grand Canyon. So work has to come first, right? We have to be successful professionally. But one of the things I've learned is that the memories I'm creating with these people, they, they won't go away, yeah. you know, and they're, they're ultimately the things that are more important to me than the, the numbers we're posting, yeah, yeah. you know, because yeah. we're, we're, we're impacting the whole person. Yeah, right on. Well, uh, Paul, this has been an incredible conversation. Uh, Thanks so much for being on the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Ram. Great. Any last messages you want to share with the uh, audience? Get out there, sign up. That's what I'd say. (laughs) All right, right on. (laughs) Okay, so, you know, I really want to encourage anyone who's listening here. When I think of leadership, I often think of someone's a good business leader or someone is a good leader of people. People can come in and and manage a business and make sure workflow is going on and make sure the right things are happening in the right order. And that's a valuable skill. It's a valuable kind of leadership. But I want to encourage you that there's a, a different kind of thing going on when you're a leader of people, when you're able to engage with people, not just about how they get things done, but who they are as professionals as they're getting things done. And that idea of unlocking potential We can give people books, you know, we can give them the inspirational talk. We can do all of those things, but there's nothing like helping people expand their choices by helping them learn 
what's really possible for them. And Paul is just a great example of how leadership doesn't just have to end at, you know, the spreadsheet of like, you know, what did we get done this year in terms of like numbers and figures? Leadership can actually begin at that space of saying, and what do we do for our people? How do we help them expand their horizons? How did we help them understand the world around them and themselves through the way that we're engaging with them in our leadership? So something I'd ask everyone here today is look at whatever you think is possible today and figure out how you challenge yourself so that you give yourself and gift yourself more choices by expanding that realm of the possible. So with that, uh, it was a great, great time. And Dave, drop the beat. You know, I'm a very lucky guy. I get to spend a lot of time with very inspirational people. And our conversations always make me really reflective and reflective on myself, reflective on my family, my friends, the people I've worked with, the community I'm a part of. And this is definitely one of them. You know, uh, after our discussion, I really thought about the challenges that I've taken on that have stretched me. You know, when I was a kid, I got bullied a lot. I grew up being afraid all the time, you know, scared to go to school, scared to walk home, feeling this sense of like isolation and just being alone. And I could have stayed in that space pretty easily, but I was lucky enough to find a scene, you know, the skateboarding scene, and then later on music. And these were scenes and communities that encouraged me to take on challenges. And at first, whether it was with skateboarding, just learning how to do really difficult tricks, or eventually when I started playing in bands, uh, becoming better at my instrument and learning how to write songs and putting out records and touring, all of these were really tough challenges and things that I had to learn. And the more I learned, the more I felt that there were things that I could do. And the more I realized that there were things that I could do and those things were interesting or valuable, I realized I had choices. And so I'd encourage anyone here listening, creating choices for yourself and others has everything to do about your willingness to stretch yourself, take on challenges, really see what you're made out of. And when you start getting an understanding that the limits that you've placed on yourself or that others have placed on you, that these are just fabrications, then you start really understanding the heights that you can go to, the things that you could do. That's when the impossible becomes possible. And it all starts with deciding to take the leap. So with that, let's start taking the leap and taking it together. I'll see you next time on One Step Beyond.